Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And we dedicate this episode to the lovely people at UNC who are probably stewing in bitterness and shame and embarrassment after Nicole Hannah-Jones rejected their offer of tenure like Dikembe Mutombo rejecting a weak shot from Brian Scalabrini. And instead chose to teach at Howard University, along with Tanahisi Coates, setting up what seems to be a fairly powerful you know, uh, shift, which which will make a lot of people who are 16, 17, 18 years old um, think about maybe I shouldn't go to one of these traditionally white schools that I could get into. I should go to Howard because there is extraordinary people teaching there. Not that there wasn't before, but you know, now with these two superstar names being added, mm-hmm. it becomes this amazing, glittering uh, galaxy of, of of professors. You know, what I appreciate, if, if folks have not read the entirety of Nicole Hannah-Jones' statement as to why she denied, finally, after, I don't know, seven months of deliberation, the UNC Board of Trustees decision to grant her the tenure that was granted to every single fucking night chair um, ahead of her. It was beautiful. (laughs) And it's refusal to bow to the applause and the final acceptance of white people. Mm. I cannot express to you as a person who wanted so greatly to attend an HBCU, but did not um, the fuck you that Nicole Hannah Jones in her eloquence, in her brilliance provided. We have played to your games. We have done everything that you asked of us to do as black people. We superseded the rules that you set for us. And even when you decide to change the rules at the end of the day, we look you in the face and we say, you know what? Do you know what she said, Torre, that I love so much? I refuse. 
I refuse. Black women, black people never get to utter that phrase with the boldness, with the straightness of our backs and the liftedness of our chins to ever say, I refuse. I refuse you deciding at the end of the day, after seven months, to accept me. After my Pulitzer Prize, after my Peabody, to decide that I am worthy, I refuse. MacArthur, New York Times. You know, when I was... When I was little, my parents told me, you know, we have to be, as black people, twice as good to get what the white people have. Nicole Hannah-Jones's career, her resume is about five to ten times as good as anyone else. And that politics would play such a role and fear of what she's doing with the 1619 Project would play such a role in her ascending to just be a professor uh, is is unimaginable and disgusting. But that she, yes, that she was, this is why we need black institutions in our lives so that we can go somewhere where we are valued and we don't have to change and kowtow and accept the bullshit from white institutions that don't truly value us and i just wish i could have been there when she's going through it with unc and perhaps thinking when am i gonna just say no to these folks and like say fuck you because she's good she works at the new york times she does not need unc but then a phone call comes either from howard or she calls howard and they're like you know you could come here. We would love to have you. We would roll out the red carpet for you. And like, oh my God, we could just smack UNC down, go somewhere where we will have black students who we can mold, uh, black leadership who values and cares about what I have to do and what I have to say, never have to worry about somebody going, Ooh, yeah, please don't say that because you might make somebody else who's really rich and white. Un- I mean, like, how horrible is it? How shitty is it to be able to to think, I can't say that because somebody rich and white might be uncomfortable. And how glorious is it to be able to say, fuck your job. I'm going where I'm wanted. And I thought that that was the most beautiful thing of it all. And that's that's just what I think that I'm going to hold on to for forever. Go where you are celebrated, not where you are tolerated. I think that too often we as black people are forced to go into places that marginally accept us, that give us their um, tolerance and tell us that 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 is enough. And what she was saying to these folks at UNC, her alma mater, she wanted to teach there. She wanted to teach the next generation of people from her alma mater. And they said no. And I can't express to you the way in which she called out the wealthy white donor who said, you had an opportunity here to use your money for good. And you decided, no, that it wasn't enough that I didn't get tenure. It wasn't enough of this. You wanted to snuff me out. And yet here still I stand. I tell you that 
this, I am so happy. I, 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 I feel terrible that she had to go through such trauma publicly, but I appreciate that we all got to see what we, what many of us have experienced behind closed doors, which is the, oh, you've played by our rules, but we've changed the rules at the end of the day. We're not going to provide you with any reason as to why that is the case. You just need to accept it. And when we decide that you are worthy, then you should just receive it with a grin. And Nicole Hannah-Jones said what? I refuse. But I think about the hundreds of black students who will have access to her brilliance um, at Howard in the years and years ahead. And, um, you know, I, I understand the black students who say, you know, I, I want to get to X position in life. And I understand that I have to overcome white privilege. And part of the armor that I need is to have the imprimatur of some major brand name college beside my name. And if I can go into finance, government, law, medicine, wherever, saying, yeah, I went to Harvard, I went to Yale, I went to Stanford, what have you, um, that helps them combat some of the white privilege that they're going to be doing battle with. And I understand that. And yet there is a value in getting an awesome education in and of itself. And not that you won't get a great education at those places, but if you can learn from Nicole Hannah-Jones and Ta-Nehisi Coates, among the other awesome people who are already at Howard and the other people who will be drawn to Howard because those two superstars are already there. Um, that is an extraordinary education, especially for somebody who wants to go into media, into writing, into the creative arts field. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary opportunity for a lot of people. And I would urge a lot of young people who are looking at colleges who may have not may have not been on it like you are, may be not ready to think about how, think about Howard. Think about how the vice president of the United States went there and had a transformative life experience and how two of the most brilliant people in America are there. And, and many of the most interesting people you will ever meet in your life will be students there, will be professors there. It's a really interesting opportunity for a lot of people. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions. Questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, 
a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. This show is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming, and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Represent Us, a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting. And they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. Um, there's a lot of different things that I want to talk with you about today. Um, Maria Taylor. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, she has showed uh, over at ESPN, she showed a lot of grace and poise through a very difficult professional situation. You know, I, 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 I've, I, I've, I've met Rachel Nichols. I've hung out with Rachel Nichols. I saw that thing that we talk about on this show that I think we fear sometimes as black people, the, the well-meaning, left-leaning white person who still perpetuates and stands up for white privilege. And saying, hey, you know, mm-hmm. I wish Maria well, and I understand that she deserves professional success. And I know that I have this job because I'm related to Diane Sawyer in part. But <laughs> you can't take my job. You you get you get your you get your come up your 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 you know your your come up some on somebody else's job, not on my job. You can't. I, I can't. You know, people are like, well, she supports black people, like. I'm sure she does, but when she had a chance to support a black person here, she was like, mm-mm, not my job. I just, you know, Tore, I don't understand it. I have never been able to wrap my mind around it when you have an opportunity, when you are in a place and you have a platform to be able to either create a conversation, correct a conversation, um, delve in and provide a perspective that is needed at that time because people listen to you when, when there are folks and look, I'm not saying that every black person, every, every person of color needs to be an activist. It needs to be a writer um, for their race or for their ethnicity or for their religion. But at the end of the day, there are so still so few of us outside of the realm of white supremacy and patriarchy that get 
moments, if not decades in the sun, that when you have that and you choose the latter, when you choose to be like, eh, not me, that calls into question your, not calls into question, that exposes your character, right? Like that, that's, uh, that's inexcusable to me to be able to say, you know, I have this space in this place. And when I see wrong things being done, whether you're black or brown or not, to not call that out, to then say, no, my own uh, pocketbook, bank account, this, that, and the other thing is more important. I'm saying to myself, how do you live with yourself? How do you sleep? How do you look at yourself in the mirror? Look, if, Given if, the opportunity to do right and you choose wrong? If white people believe in, and we're really talking about lefty white people, if they believe in combating white supremacy in the abstract, but are unwilling to do anything themselves mm-hmm. and would fight against anything being done themselves well then we have nothing because you know the right is fighting against the entire notion of white privilege having given them what they have the left is supposed to at least admit that white privilege is part of the story but if you're unwilling to do anything about it uh, you know and I, i don't want to cast espn as some great benevolent group who was like trying to do something about white privilege they were embarrassed by their poor record on diversity and were trying to use uh rachel's spot to help out well you know i mean it was it was the notion was raised to me which could be that espn planted this story to embarrass and uh put Mm. rachel in a corner to thus say, like, look, mm. you know, now we're distracting from the NBA finals. We got to move you aside. And now we're going to put two black women, Maria Taylor and Malika Andrews, as the sideline reporter. Um, you know, because without the kerfluffle, they really had no argument for why they're moving her off the job that's supposedly in her contract, as she says. Um, with the, the story, the brouhaha, this whole New York Times thing becomes much easier for them to say, look, you know. We have to move you. The long week for Shikari Richardson, who will not be going to Tokyo at all. We thought that she mm. might be on the four by 100 team, but she was not chosen for the team. So she's completely out of Tokyo. I'm really sad about that. And I'm just so sad that yet again, our stupid backwards policy amount around marijuana has led to a black life being changed. Um, you know, the notion that, well, she knew the rules and she shouldn't have smoked is really small minded. It's really easy to blame the individual for their behavior. I think it's more thoughtful to look at the institutions and say, well, why are these rules in place? Are these rules moral? Are these rules just? Are these rules outdated? Do these rules make sense? And if marijuana is a natural substance that does not provide uh, performance enhancement and it is legal in the place where she's doing it, then 
why is she being banned from the Olympics for using it uh, one time to deal with grief? It, it doesn't strike me as moral or just. And to not notice that there are immoral and unjust rules and laws in society, and we should not advocate for the following of those rules, um, you know, the, uh, you know, we have nothing if we do not stand up against unjust and immoral rules. I think that what troubles me the most about this entire situation is not just the weed issue of it all, which is problematic given the fact that we have such a patchwork of right. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Rights and restrictions in this country, right? Which is the fact that you could be in Oregon or you could be in New York or you can be in New Jersey or you can be in Connecticut and have a totally different set of laws. We also understand just because by inherently being political people, the ways in which these laws have been established to incarcerate our people. So am I applauding her use of marijuana? No, I'm not. But I'm saying, should it be the thing that disqualifies her from competition? Absolutely not. Because it's been the thing that has disqualified us from participating in society, right? By throwing the book at us in many ways while giving licenses to white individuals who are opening up dispensaries and are getting ready to delve into a multi-billion dollar industry. So I find it problematic on its face, but the decisions that the Olympic committee has been making over the past several days, whether it be about swim caps, oh, we're not going to institute swim caps that will fit uh, hair that is not white, right? That is not flat. That is actually buoyant and voluminous. Oh, we're not, we're going to ban that. Um, we're going to ban certain things that are based on our perceived notion of what it means to be elite. Like they said that like, oh, the people that need these swim caps, oh, they're not in a, in an elite setting. What the fuck does that mean? Right. That means that the only people that exceed in swimming are people that are white right? Who can have the close fitting, um, head, um, head, uh, covering it just these, everything, everything that we are seeing and everything that we call out is so steeped in white supremacy is so, so steeped in white normalcy that we have never had to 
push back against it. We've never questioned them. We've just taken their rules and said that those are the definers of how we should be acting. And it's just like, wait a minute, why the fuck have we decided that that was the case? Why have we never pushed back? And so the decisions that are being made are not just about marijuana and they're not just about these isolated incidents, but they're about the ways in which the Olympic Committee, the ways in which the the world sees blackness and black and brown people. And the fact is, is that we've never been in a position of power to ever question their logic, to ever push back against their policies. And so right now is our time to be like, yeah, so no, this doesn't work for us. Yeah, so no, this doesn't make sense, right? Um, And I know that there are Black athletes right now in particular that are saying, because they're hearing murmurings of folks wanting to boycott uh, the Olympics altogether because they're just like, this isn't for us. It wasn't built for us. So why am I doing this? It's the same instance that Nicole Hannah-Jones is saying, like, why am I trying to fit into places that never made room for me, that were never built for me, right? This is the question for black and brown people of our time. What are we doing in these spaces and places that don't want to see us, that not only don't want to see us, but that are actively working to suppress us, that are actively working to silence us? What are we doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that situation is really boring. I mean, really, really sad to me. It is a little boring because it's like, Jesus, like, you know, these are just old, outdated rules that don't have anything to do with our current understanding of the world, of the way these drugs work. And, you know, continuing to ban them is really silly. And, the you know, the Olympics has lost out on a fairly obvious uh, superstar. You know, people watch the games for the people in them. Um, so much I want to talk with you about this week. Uh, super disappointed that our home city has elected a 20-year veteran of the fucking NYPD to be mayor. It was just a year ago that we were marching in the streets against police violence for police accountability. And now many of us have voted for a cop to be mayor. We cannot get real police reform from somebody who is indoctrinated within the system. And before you talk to me about, well, he was in 100 blacks and law enforcement who care. The issue is not about caring. The issue is not about being nice to people. The issue is not about the relationship between cops and the community. The issue is about police are judged based on the number of arrests they make. They are tasked by their supervisors. They are allowed by the Supreme Court to be more aggressive in who they stop in high crime, a.k.a. black areas. Any person in a high crime area is available to be stopped in a low crime area, a white suburb, the bar for why you stop somebody is much higher. There is crime in both areas. And they understand Mm -hmm. that uh, Mm -hmm. about 5% of the people commit about 95% of the crime, but yet still, there's still, and Eric Adams is in favor of stop and frisk, which is just a democratizing way of just attacking 
almost any black person for any furtive movement. What is a furtive movement? Anything the officer wants it to be. Now, they are judged on arrests. They know that they can politically and legally make those arrests that they need in black neighborhoods. Um, they make those arrests quite often violently in order to send a message such that their job will be easier. They want us to fear them, and they have qualified immunity, which means any anything that happens while they are being violent to us uh, is legal. Uh, this, is, this is all a recipe for arresting and oppressing black people, and the arresting of black people is criminogenic because when you start arresting people, that starts to curtail their ability to even enter the above ground economy. You know, when you when you have to apply for a job and admit that you have a felony uh, on your record, uh, which could happen for any number of reasons, um, then then your ability to get a job is curtailed, which then pushes you into the underground economy. Um, you know, the, the police are part of oppressing black people. And when you have a police officer in charge of reform, that, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I got to tell you that Eric Adams was not in my top five. Um, <laughs> there were many people that were running for mayor in uh, in the city of New York, and he was not in my top five. Because anybody that it took until 2006 to recognize that as a black man, the Republican Party was not for you. Um, is incredibly problematic for me. Um, I am not anti-cop and I've never been anti-cop, but what I am is anti-police brutality. What I am is wondering, and you posted this this week on your Instagram page, which was a, uh, a tweet, I think from Bree Newsom, which is saying, um, so in all of this like blue matters, right? And on all this uh, blue life matters, where the fuck has there been in terms of the cacophony uh, coming from police departments about the inquisition into what happened on January 6th. Where is there, right, the noise that is said to say that 140 of our quote-unquote blue brothers and sisters were tormented, terrorized, and tortured, and so we want to get to the bottom of it. Mm. And, you know, the reality is, is that when you this is this is like a, a sorority or a fraternity, right? These people pledge their allegiance to these groups, not to the oath of which to um, uphold the rights of the citizenry that they are trying to protect or that they are sworn to protect. That is not the goal here, and it has never been. And so the Eric Adams of the world, right? They get a fucking middle finger from me. I want to see what he's going to do because the fact that you are the second black man to become mayor of New York City and you are a Republican, but what, five minutes ago, I'm supposed to somehow fall in line and think that you were an actual Democrat? Miss me with the bullshit. What you did was play the political calculus that said that you could not run as a black Republican in New York but you could be pro-cop and do all of these things and pro-wealth and blah, 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 blah. But for your race, you could essentially get the vote. I'm not for that type of strategic political bullshit. And I smell it and I see it, right? And I'm not for it. I, I'm writing something about Eric Adams because um, 
because he was talking about me on CNN this morning and um, um, had an interesting conversation with a, with, a, with a criminologist that I want to just inject in this conversation and for our listeners to understand. There is widespread discussion of us going through a crime surge. And I spoke to a leading criminologist and asked him, is this true? And the answer is complicated. Now, one of the ways, especially the folks on the right, are using the notion of a crime surge is comparing year-over-year figures. Well, of course, crime is up versus last year. Last year at this time, we were all in the house uh, scared of COVID, right? Now many people are vaccinated and we're coming out of the house. So that's a totally false comparison. But versus 2019 and 2018, what do we see? Well, crime in general is down. However, and nationwide, all major cities. However, murder is up. And of course, murder is the number one thing that we care about the most. Somebody loses their life. That's the most horrible thing. Why is murder up? Generally, when people talk about crime, they mean criminals committing things, people who are setting out to rob you, to deal drugs, professional criminals. There are very, very few professional criminals who are committing crime all the time. And the crime surge isn't really about the people we think of as criminals. Now, if I take a gun and shoot my neighbor or my wife, I am a criminal. But before I did that, you wouldn't have thought about me as a criminal. I'm a a normal, quote-unquote, person. But I'm a criminal just the same. And when I go in the prison, I'm going to be still a criminal, just like everybody else who's there. Now, what we saw before the election was a surge in the buying of guns, both by Trump voters and by black urban people. Mm-hmm. These, this surge, so now we have a wider number of people who own guns than ever before. Generally, there's there whatever the number of guns is, most of them are held by a small number of people. Like the average, if you have a gun, the average is something like there's like three guns for every person. But if you own a gun, you tend to own like three, right? So a lot, so whatever number of guns we have, a lot of people don't have any guns. But now we have a larger number of people in America who have guns. And that is leading to the rise in murder that we're seeing in all major cities. The police are not going to be there when a husband or a wife pulls a gun on the other or when somebody in a bar gets mad or when uh, somebody gets mad at their neighbor and pulls out a gun. Right. This is not it's not about committing crime. It's not about stopping crime. It's is about this is about normal working folks getting mad or drunk or whatever and turning their guns on the people they know or strangers they're having an argument with. So more cops are not going to deal with the surge in murder that we're seeing. And the surge, is, the surge in murder is real. Crime, other crime numbers are, are falling. But the surge in murder is real. But we, more cops and more money for cops is not going to deal with that. Um, so that's just something that I wanted to deal with. Now, my favorite video of the week does involve the cops. Uh, involves the cops taking 
a racist man in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, away to prison. I know you saw this video because it was super shared on Black Instagram over the last couple of days. And it was just such a beautiful sight watching this racist get his comeuppance being escorted out of his house into a waiting police car while hundreds of black people stood around him throwing things, chanting things, playing music, and just the chef's kiss when the Black Lives Matter flag came down on his head, almost like blessing him or whatever the evil uh, equivalent to blessing would be. And uh, it was just, it was so, so beautiful. And it was like, you know, hey, racist person, this could be you. Watch your fucking mouth. Yeah. So the man in New Jersey who went on his racist tirade to essentially say that black people were monkeys, say that black people were this, that, and the other thing, and then dare black folks to come up and show up in his, at his house in his neighborhood as if he thought that he was going to be able to what? Just use his whiteness as currency to get him out of reality? And that's where I think that we are right now which is that white people feel so emboldened and so empowered, right? Racist white folks to be able to spout out some of the most heinous, disgusting shit, record it, play it back and think that nothing is going to happen to him. And so I hope that black people keep the same energy that they did when they showed up to this man's house, when they were throwing water bottles, when they were yelling at him, when he was arrested for the heinousness that was coming out of his mouth. I hope that this is a cautionary tale, but I I believe that it is not. I think that what we are seeing and what we have been seeing since Trump came down the escalator was this reminder, right, for white folks that they need to hang on to whiteness, that they need to hang on to white privilege, that they need to do everything and anything within their power in order to hang on to power. And it doesn't matter how disgusting they are, how heinous they are in their speech, in their behavior, that whiteness will get them off the hook. But this case in New Jersey shows us that that is not the case right? This person being arrested, being handcuffed and brought into a patrol car on their own property as black people cheer. That's the energy that I want us to keep. That's the energy that we need to sustain in the face of white supremacy, in the face of privilege. And just like I said at the beginning of the show with Nicole Hannah-Jones, what is the phrase that she said? I refuse. I refuse your bullshit. I refuse your nonsense. I refuse your gaslight. I refuse your lies. I refuse your discrimination. I refuse your hatred. I refuse. That's the refrain that we need to keep. That's the energy that we need to keep high. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And we'll be back next week if there's still a country. Pray about it. Hang on. Hold on. Do whatever it is that you need to do to ground. Because the ride that we are on, yes, friends, it is a bumpy one. <laughs>